0: forever. Amen. At this time, I encourage you to join me in taking your copy of God's Word and turning back with me to our passage for this, not only this Lord's Day morning, but this communion morning, turning back with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So Acts 2, 42 through 47. I say turn back because back in the fall, this was a text we looked at for several weeks to help us better understand what is the church. What is the church primarily and Jesus' call, God's commands, for us to be devoted to and guided by these means of grace? How are we to be in the church of, of Christ? By being a church that is devoted to the preaching and teaching of God's word, praying with and for each other, faithfully taking the sacraments, and faithfully being a fellowship with one another. And so from that, we went into looking at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And we saw how five of those churches struggled. And their struggle at some part was born that they were moving away from the means of grace. That they were not receiving the reading and preaching and teaching of God's word. They were not praying as they ought to. They were not coming to the sacraments as they ought to. They were avoiding fellowship with one another. And so we ended that study Last, last Lord's Day, and Lord willing, next Lord's Day, we will begin our series on the book of Acts. But for this morning, we want to return to this familiar passage in Acts, this, this big picture snapshot of the early church to help us prepare for our time together at the Lord's table and for his supper. And so we will look at his word in that manner, and let's pray now together for God's blessing our time together in his word. Lord, open our hearts and our minds, we pray. That through your spirit, we will both hear your word and believe it. That we will receive and rest upon Christ as he is offered to us here in this part of your holy word. Do this, O Lord, not for our glory, but for yours. And so we pray in the name of the one who is glory, the incarnate God, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Acts 2, through 47, we'll stand together now for the reading of God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. The grass withers, and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. For me, one of the exciting things about Scripture is when you read it and study it, you begin to to realize and see that it's all connected together. From the very first words of Genesis to the very last words of the book of Revelation, all 66 books, all the verses, all the passages, all the stories are connected together. That there's no part of scripture that stands on its own. There's no no Bible story verse that is meant to stand apart from the rest. There's no book of the Bible that stands as an island on its own. But rather every part and piece of scripture fits into the overall story of the Bible. That story of God's glory and his great love for his people known in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ that famous quote that says, the Bible's not about you, the Bible's about Jesus. And all the books in the Bible, everything in the Bible is connected to that truth. And to me, that's exciting. That's an exciting thing to to realize and to know. It's an exciting thing to, uh, to apply. So when we understand this about Scripture, this connectivity, it helps us to better read and understand our Bibles. That the Old Testament is not separated from the New Testament. That those hard to read books such as Leviticus and Deuteronomy are just as important as the Gospels. Now we, we know this hermeneutical concept on a personal basis. We know that very rarely does something happen in our life that isn't somehow or some way connected to another part of our life. Very rarely does something happen... That, that has no connection to something else in our life. Because our life is one big story, isn't it? From your birth to your death, your, your, your life is one big story. And so we can look at our lives and we can say, well, I know this thing happened because this previous thing occurred. I, I committed this, per, this, this particular action... Because of another action that had preceded it. The older we get, the more we realize that every part and piece of our life fits together an overall story of who we are. So I find it very interesting then that, that we see in some way our lives and how it works is just a mere reflection of how the Bible works. No part of the Bible stands on its own. No part of the Bible is an island unto itself. Every bit and piece of scripture fits into the overall story of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, it's telling that great story of God's glory, his great love for his people, known in and through Jesus Christ. And our Acts passage this morning, as we've looked at before, we come back to this morning, is very much in that vein we, we can take this, 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 this story, this, this overall snapshot, and we can trace it all the way back to the promise of the Messiah in Genesis chapter 3. So this, this snapshot of the early church doesn't stand on its own. This is a result of the fulfillment of the gospel promise in Genesis 3 where the Lord promises Satan, makes his promise to Satan that Adam and Eve are benefited to, that he says, there, comes, there will come forth from the woman a seed, and she, that seed will crush your head. And this, is, this snapshot is a part of fulfillment of that promise. When we read about the formation of worship in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's a part where this passage is, is a fulfillment of that. When we go through the Psalms and we sing them each week, but we see the structuring of prayers and singing of the Psalms, that's seen in this early church. When we come to the end of Matthew 28 and Jesus gives the great commission, go therefore to all the nation, to all corners of the earth to take the gospel, this is in part a fulfillment of it. And then we find Peter standing in front of thousands of people from all over the world preaching the gospel. This is in part a fulfillment of that. It's amazing to see How scripture all fits together from beginning to end. So with that that big picture in mind, I want us to, to look at this passage now through the lens of this question. What did the early church, what did those early Christians do in response to the gospel? When the disciples went out as commanded in Matthew 28 to preach the gospel, Those who heard the gospel, what was their response to it? What about those who saw the resurrected Jesus? What about those beforehand who had walked with Jesus? Coming forward, what about those who responded to the gospel preaching from Peter? What was their response to hearing about the holiness of God, of their sinfulness, of their need for a savior, of that savior being the son of God? What was their response to this? Well, as we will see, their first response was always a saving faith. It was a receiving and resting on Jesus alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. They come to believe in the message. They come to believe in the one who that message is about. They come to believe in Jesus Christ. And then it says always that faith leads to worship. Saving faith always leads to worship. That knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior will always lead to the worship of Him. As we see here in our passage this morning. The book of Acts was written by Luke. And he has a reason, inspired by the Spirit, for chronologically ordering Acts in the way he does. If you look at your Bibles and look before this passage, you'll see that he's detailing Peter's Gospel presentation. Peter, the fisherman, Peter, the one who, who, who never, who, who wouldn't often to think through what he was saying. This Peter stands up in front of thousands of people to share the gospel. Luke says about 3,000 people were saved from that and were baptized. And then chronologically, what's he say? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship To the breaking of bread and prayers. Do you see that connection there? Do you see that chronological connection? Luke says, here's a gospel presentation that goes back to the Great Commission, that goes back to the ministry of Jesus, that goes back all the way through the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis 3. You take Genesis 3, you come forward up to Peter at Pentecost, he shares the gospel, and what's the response? And they worshiped. They worshipped. They came to faith through biblical gospel preaching and they responded in worship. It was the only way they could respond. The word devoted that Luke uses here denotes more than just being devoted to a routine. In the overall context of scripture, it's a word of both mind and heart. That knowing the gospel, believing the gospel, having a fellowship with Jesus Christ led those early Christians in both mind and heart to not only worship God, but be devoted in the worship of him. They loved it. That's what the word devoted means. They, they, they love to worship. You Notice it said they went to the temple every day. Every day they would go and listen to the apostles preaching and teaching. They, they wanted to do it. It was marked on their calendar. If we could go into their kitchen at home and, and go to the, to the fridge where they kept the family calendar, there in red ink circled every Lord's Day. They would circle it. Worship. Sunday school, 10 a.m. Worship, 11 a.m. It was the highlight of the week. Nothing would interfere with the Lord's Day. Nothing would interfere with their worship of the God who so loved them that he sent the only begotten Son to die for their sins. Go back with me to last week. To the the church in Laodicea. To the lukewarm church. To lukewarm Christians. What would lukewarm Christians do when it came to worship? They would find any and every excuse to not be committed to it. Maybe they'll show up a Sunday here, a Sunday there. But they were not going to give every Sunday to the worship of God. Maybe they would do this... Maybe they did do that, but they were not going to be committed to the church. They had more worldly things to do. And that church died. And this church lives on through us today because they were devoted to the worship of God, a devotion of mind and heart that knowing the gospel, the only response was a devotion to the worship of of God. Now as we've looked at before in this, um, in this passage, the, the elements of this worship were simple. When they would gather for worship, they would hear the preaching and teaching the apostles. They would pray with and for each other and they would take the sacraments. Now we also can assume that, that they prayed. Or, I'm sorry, they also can that they sang. But Luke just details a very simple service. Preaching, teaching, praying, and sacraments. And these elements of worship, that was their mind and heart's desire of response to the gospel. Because they knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they wanted to hear preaching and teaching. And listen, it could be boring. Paul tells us in the book of Acts that he was preaching late one night, put a dude to sleep, who fell out the window and died. I don't have that on my resume yet. I hope I don't get that on my resume. Jonathan Edwards the, 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 great Puritan, uh, 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 the great Puritan pastor up in New England, part of Great Awakening, with, would write down his diary how frustrated he would get because in Puritan New England, in his Puritan church, on some Sundays when he started to preach, some of the men would take their jackets off, ball it up, and lay down. Not put I down, mean, but lay down in their pews, use the, the jackets as their pillow and go to sleep. I haven't had that happen to me yet either. Thankfully, if you fall asleep, you stay upright. You haven't laid down yet, and I, I appreciate that. It doesn't mean it's always exciting. But they were there. They wanted to hear about Jesus. They wanted to pray with and for each other. They they wanted to they wanted to come before his table together. They wanted to, to see the baptisms. And so this morning we, we want to look, take that snapshot and go a little bit further in and look at their devotion to the Lord's Supper. As our shorter catechism teaches, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament which bread and wine are given and received as Christ directed to proclaim his death. Those who receive the Lord's Supper in the right way share his body and blood with all his benefits, not physically but by faith, and become spiritually stronger and, and, and grow in grace. I like how somebody has summarized this definition. It says it's the visible gospel. This table is the visible gospel. Because what does the bread point us to? Jesus' body broken on the cross. What does the Jews point us to? His blood spilt for us. What does this table remind us of? It reminds us of the death of Jesus. When we come before his table. It points us to the cross. And it points us to all the blessings that come from the death of Jesus on the cross. And the early Christians understood that. My guess would be that some of the people in this church were some of the same people who had gathered at the cross of Jesus to mock him. And to cheer cheer him. and, and, And to cheer on his death. And those same people now could not wait to come to his table to be reminded of the one that they had loved to see die. To now be reminded that he loved them so much that he died for them. They are devoted to the breaking of bread. That's Luke's summary statement of the sacrament. They they want to be pointed to Jesus. They want to be pointed to their Lord and Savior through the reading and preaching the word and through prayer. They want to be pointed to Jesus through, through, uh, through those sacraments. They want to be pointed to Jesus through this table. For them, it was a privilege that they got to come together and be reminded of how much they have been loved and that the great plan God has for our lives through the great sacrifice of the Son. As our catechism teaches, part of blessing of being devoted mind and heart to this sacrament is that we become spiritually stronger and we grow in grace when we come to the table in the right manner. And our catechism tells us that the right way to receive the Lord's Supper is for us to examine whether we discern the Lord's body whether our faith truly feeds on Him, and whether we do have repentance, love, and a new obedience. That's what makes this a meal of privilege. Because this table reminded them, and it reminds us, that not only did, did Jesus die for us to be saved for our sins, but He died for us to live with Him. The, the Son of God willingly gave up His life so that you and I will know the blessings of eternal life with him. These early Christians know they didn't deserve this table. They couldn't bust in through the door like modern day Karen's demanding the blessings of it. It was all because of the grace of God in and through Jesus Christ that they could come to this table and enjoyed the privilege of being his. And that approach and posture has been recorded for us for a reason. God has graciously ordained that each of you here would hear the gospel at some point in your life and have a chance to respond to it. He has sovereignly provided a church for you to be a member of And I'm thankful a church that is devoted to administering the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. Because you and I don't deserve this. We can't barge in and demand it. It's all from the grace of God in and through Jesus Christ. It's as much a privilege for us this morning as it was for them some 2,000 years ago. So as we come together to this meal this morning, to this meal this morning, May we do so in that devoted manner. May we rightly examine whether we have discerned that it is indeed the Lord's body here at the table. Whether our faith does indeed feed on him. And that we have repentance, love, and a new obedience. May we come as those who are devoted to Jesus, even at this table. Let's pray together.